All right. And we are live here from the KFBS Digital News Desk, and it is time once more for Money Talks. And things are a little bit um, out of the ordinary, but in a good way. We have uh, David Yaskevich in studio with us um, for Money Talks. He is the chair of the Department of Accounting, Economics, and Finance over at Southeast Missouri State University. How are you doing today, David? Oh, doing well. Thank you for having me. And nice Absolutely. To, nice to get out of the office every now and then. <laughs> oh, yeah. for sure. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> you know, as you mentioned, it's just, just uh, all, well, it seems like it's always busy season over there, and so I imagine <laughs> imagine Absolutely. getting out of the office and then uh, just, just livening it up a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and um, so we, we are glad to have you here and uh, glad to have you down at the KFBS Digital News Desk here streaming uh, from, uh, well, the KFBS Tower, and uh, here uh, in between our 5 and 6 o'clock, we've got our Money Talks programs. We have a, uh, a 5.30 on uh, every Friday. And so, anyway, uh, David, as we are looking today at uh, some of the latest headlines, some of the latest um, stories we've got coming out of, you know, this week in our economics news, um, inflation has fallen. And that is uh, the lowest rate it's been at for just about two years. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this from the Consumer Price Index? What, is that, what does that look like? How's it stacking up? Well, if you would have noticed headlines this week, you would have heard something along the lines of 3%. So the headline inflation number based on the Consumer Price Index was 3% over a 12-month period. And some reflections we can make on that is, first, what a difference a year makes because a year ago, Again, for a 12-month period ending in June, but ending in June 2022, we would have seen the peak inflation rate based on the CPI of 9.1%. So we're back down to a much lower rate of 3%. We'll, we'll celebrate the victories as we get them, and, and that's a, a much improved number and something closer to normal. I would just emphasize we're not quite back to normal yet, and that's why these inflation reports, these employment reports that come out each month, sometimes twice a month, uh, depending on the source, uh, they're usually 40-page reports, and there's a lot to take out sure. of them. And I want to talk about some of those things you would take out of, from the CPI report. So 3%, we're happy about that, down from 9.1. But uh, I, would, I would emphasize a few things. First, the headline CPI number uh, tends to be a little bit more volatile than what economists would tend to prefer as a target, which would be the core CPI number. And with the headline number, you would include food and energy prices, which could be very volatile. We know all about what happened to egg prices in the last year. Again, what a difference a year makes. Think about June of last year, what we saw at the gas pump with gas prices, where the national average was roughly $5 a gallon. Sure. Uh, much higher, or it was much higher uh, a year ago where we were at. Not quite $5 a gallon, but much higher in that sense. So it wouldn't shock you if you looked through that 40-page report, you'd see some of the largest declines not, not smaller increases, but actual declines yeah. in energy prices. If you look at gasoline and oil and piped natural gas, you'd see much lower prices. You'd actually see declines over the last year. Electricity would be a different. Electricity prices rose. But my point being is some of that drop in the inflation rate is due to uh, lower energy prices over the last year. Food, food prices are still rising, but probably by at, at half the rate of price increase or inflation that we saw from about a year ago. Uh, and also, if you think over the last 12 months, and you think a little bit beyond that, which months would phase out of a 12-month moving average for prices? You would see some of the highest increase in gas prices be phased out. 
that we saw last spring and in the early summer. We would have seen the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the, the turmoil that surrounded that that happened at the beginning of 2022. So we had some of the biggest months of inflation kind of phase out over our, our last uh, 12 month average or last few 12 month averages. So a takeaway there would be if we want to see inflation go down even further to that normal rate for core inflation of around 2%, it might be a little bit harder. Uh, we, we've seen interest rates rise over the last year, uh, but the labor markets remain strong. To get back to what we would consider normal, I don't think we're there yet. The numbers don't suggest we're there yet. Uh, you'd probably have to see some further weakening in the labor market. So when I mentioned headline inflation, that's a 3% number on CPI. Mm -hmm. If look, you look at the core measure, which would exclude food and energy prices, and you look at all other products in the CPI, you'd have an annual inflation rate of about 4.8%. So that's over twice the Federal Reserve's goal. And actually, the Federal Reserve targets something different from the consumer price index. It'd be called the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index and its core measure which was very similar, it was about 4.6% at the last report. So uh, in terms of the goals that the Federal Reserve has, the core inflation rate is a little over twice their target. Okay. So we're probably gonna see tighter monetary policy, higher interest rates, and getting back to normal around 2% for core measures would probably be something that we have yet to see. We definitely have yet to see it yet, but it might be a little bit harder because sure. it's not just about seeing those high inflation months phase out. It's going to might take a little bit more uh, stress on the job market is what I'm kind of getting out here. Sure, sure. All right. Um, I believe as well, you know, as, as, as we look at that, we saw some... Uh, I, the 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 market was reacting well to that news, right? That's uh, been something that uh, has been. I, I mean, I, I guess it, as far as you know, kind of the sober outlook that we try to take on it, it's been something that has been received positively in in terms of uh, motivating the the markets and so forth, right? That usually does. absolutely the stock market had a positive response, a modest positive response. Sure. We would say Not, nothing too too strong this week. Uh, also, what you're hearing more among analysts would be what will we see with interest rates and the federal funds rate in the in the coming months because the last time the federal reserve met when the federal open market committee uh, each of the participants in the meeting would give some projection on where they see interest rates going and their projections were suggesting we'd see at least two more interest rate hikes before the end of 2023 what we're hearing a lot since uh, this week's cpi report would be uh, we're probably definitely going to see one more interest rate hike two weeks from now when they meet uh, in their July meeting, but there's more uncertainty on what happens after that. If we were to see good inflation data like we saw this week uh, and maybe some weakening in the pace of job growth, you might see that be the last interest rate hike. But if we see stronger than expected uh, measures of employment, GDP coming out pretty soon, retail sales coming out next week. If you see stronger than expected data and inflation remains stubbornly high, yeah. then it might take two, maybe even more interest rate hikes. I don't mean to scare anyone with that last part, but uh, uh, there, there's some uncertainty that we're seeing from this better than expected weakness in inflation for the month of June. Sure. Yeah, um, I think that moves us along to one of our other stories. And this one, this one was interesting because uh, there are a couple of different components going at play here, and the, I mean, it starts with the headline of 27% uh, of jobs at a high risk, according to um, the European-based uh, European uh, 
Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. I had to read my notes, and I realized that the European-based part wasn't part of the actual name. <laughs> but um, the, the OECD, and so it's talking about 27% of jobs at high risk uh, for automation with AI. And so, um, you know, looking at this story, there's another part that we can get to, I think, at, right after it, but uh, that, that has more of a positive spin as far as how how people are receiving it, how it's changing their jobs for the better. Um, but obviously, that that 27%, like a fourth, like one in four jobs there, uh, endangered. In, in how do we, what do we make of this? And, and what do we, we take away as far as, uh, basically, if they, they believe that this applies to everybody or somebody in a particular market and all those sorts of things? So, you know, we've seen this before in history, but in different yeah. forms. I mean, if you think of automation of physical work, we've seen this before with machines and technology. If you think about foreign trade replacing some low-skilled jobs, we've seen this before in that sense. Uh, if you, if you, have you ever played with ChatGPT? I oh my gosh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. I, I even practice a Bard. Apparently, is Google's version I, of, I of did Chat that as GPT. well today. Yeah, they're they're both pretty good. If you're yeah. writing a memo. I mean, I don't recommend sticking with it, but maybe right. doing it in editing, with you could save time. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing here. If, if any of the viewers have not practiced with ChatGPT, yeah. give, it, give it a whirl. Absolutely. You'll, you'll be impressed. I've asked it everything to economics essays, to what candy bars I should put in the office candy bowl, and it, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those questions. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, but... There, should, there could be some, some concern that if you do some type of task or some type of work in your occupation and it's, it's not routine, but it involves some cognitive work, not necessarily rocket science, but something that involves some type of uh, non-routine cognitive work, like writing memos or mm -hmm. memorizing and using your memory or uh, some type of interaction with customers, um, anything like that could be potentially at risk of being displaced through generative uh, AI or artificial intelligence, right. such as what we're seeing with ChatGPT and other versions that are being developed and at improving rates too, in terms of what they can do and the abilities of them. Uh, so this OECD, that'd be an organization of roughly 38 countries, mostly rich, mostly developed countries. Each year they put out an employment projections report and there's usually some component to that besides just numerical employment sure. projections. And they had a significant amount of their report devoted to the employment effects of artificial intelligence. And if you think about it, you know, there's reasons to be concerned, but there's also reasons to be optimistic. And the report really emphasized that there's definitely a potential displacement effect for the task we were just discussing. But if I'm someone who does a lot of tasks and writing memos is one of many tasks, it could save time for me. Mm -hmm. So in, in addition to what they would call, there's three effects. There's a displacement effect, that's the negative. There's a productivity or augmentation effect, which would make people more productive at their jobs. But there's also something else. You might have heard this week that Elon Musk is starting a new company, another new company for Elon <laughs> Musk, uh, but it would be called XAI, the another artificial yeah. intelligence company. So there could be new jobs or new businesses that develop because of AI. And there could be suppliers of the equipment and the computer chips and the data centers that they need. So there could be positive effects, such as displacement effects, but there also could be, or there are negative effects, such as displacement yeah. effects, uh, but also positive effects on employment through either 
improving worker productivity or creating new jobs, what, what uh, some would call creative destruction. Sure. All right. Uh, so there's, there was some analysis or some review of past studies in the OECD report. And if you look at a lot of studies right now in AI, you would see no effect on aggregates so overall employment. It could cause some shifting of, of jobs. It could cause some people to be displaced. But on net, there would be no aggregate effect. But there's a warning there. Sure. And that's, when did when didn't ChatGPT come out? November? Um, I believe it was December. I think December? In, uh, in January was when... That's when it entered the common lexicon. So the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023. Yes. So most of these studies were before the finished before the pandemic. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise us if artificial intelligence didn't have much of an impact on employment if we're looking at looking in behind, looking behind uh, at, at past years before the pandemic. And the OECD mentioned that it's like right now past data is suggesting no overall effect but we might be at the cusp of a revolution or at the cusp of much bigger impacts. Yeah. So that was the first part. They're saying we might be at the beginning of something that really hasn't taken off yet. The other part was they, were, they came up with an estimate of how many jobs or how many occupations would be at high risk of being exposed, not necessarily displaced, but how much would be exposed sure. for better or for worse because of AI. And for the 38 countries in the OECD, again, mostly rich countries, so United States, Canada, Japan, Australia, many countries in Western Europe, 27% yeah. uh, of occupations would be exposed to it. Whether it would improve their productivity or displace them, they'd be exposed. For the U.S., it was a little bit less at around 22%. But basically what they did, they would look at a Department of Labor in the U.S., mm -hmm. they look at a database they have on occupations, skills and abilities needed for those occupations, and they saw how were those correlated with the types of uh, task that a, an, uh, an artificial intelligence could do. Mm -hmm. So that was their number, 27%, and we might be at the cusp of something big in the coming yeah. years. So I don't know whether to be afraid or be optimistic, but I'm sure there's a share of both that uh, sure. what we'll have. Yeah, and you men mentioned that already, that um, the automation for some folks it's making their job less dangerous, less tedious. That's what uh, I was reading in Reuters earlier today. Um, so, you know, for that two-thirds of workers, that's an interesting that's an interesting tidbit. And you mentioned, of course, that kind of difference between the displacement and uh, what was the other word that you used? The augmentation, augmentation or productivity right. effect. Right. So that, that's been an important part of it. And, of course, we've seen this week um, and throughout the last couple of weeks, the last several weeks has been... Um, jobs that have been making the headlines have been like the, the screenwriters and the actors specifically um, sort of working on that, that collective bargaining in terms of their, their jobs and things along those lines uh, as, uh, as we kind of imagine that collective bargaining is going to play a role in, in what that looks like in the, in the weeks uh, to come. Any thoughts on any of that? You know, anecdotally, that was one thing that uh, was mentioned among many things in the Screen Actors Guild in their press conference today. They went on strike, yep. and uh, apparently they're joining the, the writers. And one of many, of course, pay and, and residuals are a key part of what they're discussing, yeah. but one other part of it was protections against displacement from artificial intelligence. Very much the writers would be concerned about that, oh, but yeah. there's also concerns of technology and artificial intelligence of generating pictures, images, likenesses, even videos and, and audio yeah. uh, pieces for, for, for the actor's side. So, yeah. you know, th that's, that's a very unique example, but it, it affects anyone who has to 
do some type of cognitive but non-routine task yeah. uh, that might not necessarily involve the highest amount of creativity, which is a lot of job, a lot of jobs that require college degrees could be impacted by by this uh, force that we're seeing. Oh, for sure, for sure, and it is interesting as well to see the level of of interest that they're taking. Of course, you know, um, with the impact looming in it, it's interesting because although you do see different Hollywood institutions really looking at at, uh, at the possibilities of things like de-aging and the like, it, you don't necessarily have a particular business or company coming out and saying, hey, we're going to, you know, uh, use the likeness of this person or that person necessarily. And so it's, it's interesting to see how, uh, I guess one would call it a... Uh, Proactive, maybe I don't know. I guess it depends exactly what your feelings are about it, um, particularly. Um, but th that that does seem to be um, kind of the dynamic that's playing out as far as the uh, that situation goes. And I think that that takes us then to um, a look at um, the beige book um, that is with the Federal Reserve. Um, what's the What's this tell us? What's What's the beige book tell us? This is the ear to the street type of information you get. I mean, you know, a lot of times on this program we talk about the numerical reports, estimates of inflation, estimates of job growth, estimates of unemployment. Uh, but it's nice to hear, you know, from people on the ground, what are, what are they hearing, what are they experiencing. Right. And uh, the Federal Reserve System, in case the viewers aren't aware, there's 12 districts. And two weeks before every federal open market committee meeting, these districts would report the economic conditions of their region. Uh, and during their reports, they would give their own assessment based on surveys that they conduct with businesses in, in their area, interviews that they might do, and just anecdotal information from those surveys and interviews. So what are we hearing? And you know, you know what you really are interested in is what we hear from people, businesses, and, and, and you know, business leaders, is that reflecting what we see in the actual quantitative data? And I think the answer is yes in, in, in many, many respects. Uh, so if we were to look at the last beige report that came out this week, uh, I think it would fit a narrative of continued growth, at a, but at a slower pace. And that's what we would probably expect in the coming months. Uh, in terms of the labor market, we're probably going to see continued strength, but the tightness and the worker shortage is probably going to alleviate and likely lead to some continued alleviation or weakening in inflation as well. So that's all good news. That sounds like a soft landing type of story, but again, I would stress there's some uncertainty um, as, as, we, as we move forward. But uh, what I, a few takeaways that I thought yeah. were interesting. Uh, one, I mentioned there were 12 district banks. Five of them reported they had little to modest growth in the economy. Mm -hmm. Five of them, another five, uh, reported that there was essentially no change in economic conditions and two of them reported a slight decline in economic conditions. Now, it wasn't our district of the St. Louis, but it was the San Francisco district, which actually covers nine states, the seven, south, or seven westernmost states in the country, plus Alaska and, and Hawaii on that. And the other district that reported a slight decline in activity would have been the Philadelphia district, which would include a lot of central and western Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey, and the state of Delaware. So uh, most states are seeing little to no growth, um, and you're seeing two, or at least two, two uh, districts reporting a uh, slight decline. But overall, they, the, the report would suggest we're seeing slower growth, positive growth, so that's good, 
but at a, a, a slower pace. So if we're, we want to see inflation go back down to normal levels, which we haven't seen yet, that might be a, a narrative or a path that would be most likely for that. All right, um, and as always, we like to wrap up the show by uh, looking ahead uh, to anything that economists are keeping their eye on that uh, folks may need to know about. You mentioned the writers and actors strike. Right. I don't want to forget about that potential UPS strike we're hearing about, sure, yes. which has a deadline to reach an agreement by the end of the month. And I think that, you know, I, I would miss new shows in the fall when, when right. uh, new, new TV programs start their new seasons, but uh, the disruption to most households from the UPS strike would be pretty, pretty significant mm -hmm. and um, probably wouldn't lead to a recession or anything like that, but it would probably be a noticeable in terms of shipping times, in terms of shipping costs. Um, so that's something. Those two labor disputes right now, I think, are on a lot of people's attention, at least throughout the month of July. Mm -hmm. uh, other reports that we'll get next week, we'll get retail sales being reported. So again, if we're seeing this continued growth but at a slower pace, to what extent are we seeing that on consumer spending? We'll get a good indication of that on Tuesday of next week. We'll get some housing market data next week as well. So new construction on, on uh, homes will come out. It's called a housing start and also sales of existing homes, which is the largest category of home sales out there. So if, if the interest rate sensitive sector of housing is strongly impacted by higher interest rates, which might increase again by the end of the month, uh, that's something we, we would want to see in those two housing reports. Another thing on at least my radar, yeah. I know it's a lot of other people's radar, today some of the large banks in the US mm -hmm. reported their latest earnings report. And uh, that would have included J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, which reported strong numbers. But those are rather large banks, and there'll be a few more large banks next week. Uh, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and U.S. Bank will report their numbers next week. Uh, but also next week, some smaller and mid-sized banks will report their quarterly earnings reports. And they're the ones that might be a little bit more adversely impacted by the period of high interest rates. So that large bank versus small to mid-sized bank comparison, we'll get some more information on that. Um, other companies reporting earnings reports next week, ones I like to take a, a look at as being a benchmark or a, a measuring stick of where the economy is going. We've got Tesla, we've got Netflix, and also the transportation logistics company of J.B. Hunt. That's a good benchmark one there. So all of that will be on my radar next week, and we'll probably have a lot to talk about. Oh, very interesting. Certainly uh, shipping, uh, maybe hearing that supply chain issues <laughs> term again, depending on how things uh you know, end up that, that sort of thing possibly coming back in the news and, and housing and, uh, and the like. All, all very important issues to uh, keep on anyone's radar. David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate your time. Yeah, we, we're appreciate glad to have you here and uh, um, hopefully can do more of these here in the future. And uh, we're glad to have you all tune in and be here with us for Money Talks. As always, we, we, it's our Friday show in our um, economic news and so we do appreciate you all being here with us. Um, we're going to turn it back over here in just a few minutes to Heartland News at 6 o'clock. Jeff Cunningham is in studio right now. I see him on the screen just across from us, and they are getting ready for Heartland News at 6. I hope you all will stick around and, uh, and watch, and we'll be right back.